Hey guys, before we start, uh, I mentioned a podcast from Jake Winberly. Uh, he was on uh, that SEC podcast talking about win totals uh, coming up for the 2024 season. I mistakenly keep calling him Kim Wimberly for some strange reason. His name's Jake Wimberly. Just don't listen to me when I say Kim. Anyway, enjoy the show. Thank you guys so much. Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, uh, an OU football fan podcast. I am Peyton Guthrie, one of your, one of your hosts, even. Uh, joined, uh, as always, well, it's not always, it's triumphant today, uh, with Brady and Alan. Matt was out with doing some family stuff with the uh, fiance slash wife. I can't remember if he, man, that sucks, bad friend. I can't remember if he's uh, tied that knot officially. It's on my mind because in two months I'll be in Iceland. Not yet. Uh, doing the the Black Sands, uh, 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 getting married over there. Uh, just a really, really hot take. If you're a photographer in Iceland who doesn't charge $6,000, please email me directly as soon <laughs> as you possibly can. Uh, that would be fantastic. But let's get on the show. Brady, uh, with the Metallica on your brain earlier about YouTube, uh, how's it going, man? Are you been, are you been hitting the guitar? Are you been playing the axe? You, you, have you been getting some practice in, some licks in? That thing... That is a wonderful wall decoration for the last handful of months because I don't know. It's just work is stressful, but work is stressful for everybody. But doing the podcast stuff is fun and hopefully listening to the podcast stuff is fun. And you're forgetting about all the boring, stressful shit at work or in your life. So I'm doing fine. Um, I miss Matt, though. I miss we him. All do. We all miss Matt. Alan, how's it going on your side of the world, man? Oh, good. Yeah. I hope everybody out there listening to this, their stresses are just melting away. Like Brady said, you know, I mean, like, you know, come, you can come here and just leave it all behind. Yeah. But, man. uh, yeah, no, I'm doing, I'm doing great, man. Like, I, you know, I'm not, not too busy or anything like that. I'm just, you know, I'm getting by. Man, if you ever have a chance to come down to Duran, Oklahoma, not that you want to, in two years, we're going to have a Margaritaville. 10 minutes from my oh, house. I'm familiar, you just, yeah. You can let it coast. You just let it hang out, have fun down there on, uh, it's five on Lake Texoma. Somewhere. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, indeed. If you're going to come to Oklahoma. Mike Gundy, me, be hanging out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alan, if you're going to come to Oklahoma, considering what we've got to look forward to this November, why don't you just go ahead and like early January, just like pencil yourself in. Like, I'm just going to leave D.C. for extended period of time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know no, what's right? going to happen, yeah. but it's oh, cold true. in January. I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. south. Speaking of yeah. it being uh, of the weather, not the cold part, beautiful day today. I uh, had, a, I think, the low 70s. I was on my bike. I was able to jump on and get 20 miles in after work. 
uh, 70 degrees. The wind was a complete asshole, though. I had like 20 mile an hour gusts hit me right in the face on some of it. Wasn't as fun, but very great to have a nice temperate, you know, in middle of uh, February. So I hope you guys had some good weather where you guys are at and people listening. Hope you were able to enjoy being outside. Uh, that'd be fantastic, uh, especially with the, the winter blues. But let's jump on this podcast. Let's start talking about college football and OU specifically. Uh, the best thing about off-season content is that we get to talk about other people's off-season content. Uh, <laughs> uh, that SEC podcast, uh, which is hosted by Mike SEC uh, on uh, X, I believe, who's agreed to be on the podcast, so listen out for that, uh, had on Kim Wimberly, who's also agreed to be on the podcast from ESPN, to talk about the 2024 SEC football coming uh, upcoming football season schedule conference play uh over unders and kind of laid out what he expected from this new uh 16 team sec league had two uh two two pretty large uh predictions and which i think is helpful for us for oklahoma fans and the uh you know the, the phantom brother we're always tied to down south uh had texas finishing the season undefeated 12 and 0 and had OU rolling in at nine and three um really beating those FanDuel allegations <laughs> pretty, pretty quickly and pretty hard. Uh, Alan, you've had a chance to kind of look at this. And I know you've got your own uh, internal power rankings uh, that you kind of deal with, not to kind of deal with, that you've developed and, and used to kind of guide your picks. And by the way, Alan, I need to let you know, we had someone on uh, Discord reach out to me publicly via DM and said, I want you to know for the back half of that season, I I, uh, he uh, took our bets wholehearted, didn't even think about it, he said, because of the heater you were on. So congratulations on the, oh, on helping somebody make some money on the back half of that season. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely finished strong, man. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, everybody's got, I mean, you know, uh, the power rankings are very much art and science together. Um, I'm not sure exactly how uh, Mr. Wimberly put his together, you know. Uh, but looking at those, man, if he's if he's correct, I mean, you've got two uh, two overbets there on the Sooners and Longhorns. Uh, FanDuel right now has uh, Texas at ten even half, money, right? yeah, even money to go over ten and a half. Uh, the the juice is to the under there, minus one twenty two, and uh, FanDuel has the Sooners at plus one thirty to go over seven and a half, and under seven and a half at minus one sixty. I mean, so you know, FanDuel's saying. Like the the money men are saying, like this OU team is not going to is is going under seven and a half wins. I mean, they're saying that you know getting to eight would be a uh, an upset. Yeah, the stuff that uh, Kim had how he how he put it together, uh, he had mentioned, um, just the efficiency. He's looking at a lot of efficiency uh, uh, stand, uh, statistics on his side and said, OU last year was eighth on offense and 11th on defense. <laughs> um, and said, like, that's going to be a very good football team. Like, that's something you're yeah. going to pick over on if they're able to maintain that level of success. Now, offense, you do have a lot of stuff that kind of bounces back and forth for OU. I think they're only returning 44% of overall production, uh, if I remember right, from Bill Conley, friend of the pod, uh, in his returning uh, production article. That said, you can scheme people open, <laughs> you know, as long as the, as long as the offensive line is able to gel together, I think that can kind of take care of itself. But I mean, what do you think about 12 and over Texas? I mean, you and I both have kind of mentioned it and kind of looked at it. Like I, I see a very soft middle for this, uh, you know, Texas Longhorn defense and them losing a lot of difference makers, a lot of playmakers on the outsides for the uh, offense. It's hard to see 12 and 0. 
That said, they do have a as favorable as a, of an SEC schedule as you could get. Um, you know, I think they only have like two very difficult games in Oklahoma and uh, Georgia at this point in time. But do you think 12 and 0 is just for you? Is it, it, a site uh, that that you'll, you're going to hold your breath for, or is this something that's like just breathe through it? This isn't happening. Yeah, you know what was interesting about like sometimes these kind of exercises for me, like what what really uh, you know stands out is when I actually look at like the picture of okay, here's Texas's schedule, and like looking at it, realizing like oh man, that actually is so soft compared to um, you know where I feel like OU is right now in terms of what they got. Um, even, you know, you, you mentioned the George game, Michigan, Oklahoma, I, you know, they got to go to Michigan. Now, Michigan looks like a completely different proposition right now, right. Compared to, uh, what they were a year ago. So that that's kind of different, but, um, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, if you're, if you think that Texas is going to, um, go into fiat, I mean, you know, you're really banking on that schedule being, being the reason why I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like under 10 and a half personally is probably the way that I would lean here. Um, they, there's a, I think that production wise, like on the defense side of the ball, uh, you know, Texas was able to make a lot of hay with the its interior. Um, but when they went up against some of the teams that could really throw the ball better, um, they, you know, the defense got lit up quite a few times. Now I don't know how many times they're going to see that, uh, see teams that can do that to them this season. But I think the way the, the thing is though, is, you know, losing those two middle defenders uh, in sweat and Murphy. Now, all of a sudden you've lost that strength of your defense, if that makes sense. So, you know, you're going to be developed, you're going to be allocating your resources differently on that side of the ball. You know, the other thing to think about is um, I mean, I don't view Quinn yours as uh, you know, at, at, necessarily a, a top tier quarterback around the country but the other thing to keep in mind is he has yet to make it through a season fully healthy um and i mean you know early on in the year i mean you know if he ends up hit you know if, if he goes down for any extended stretch even you know three games like i believe he missed this year that's going to be hard for them harder for them i think to uh you know plug in their backup i guess will be arch manning and necessarily uh just keep on keep on chugging you know yeah that's something just just a depth it's something also i worry about the university of oklahoma and their football team is just depth you know at that point oh, yeah. in time especially uh, up front on the defensive line and offensive line i mean that's the point where you just have to keep sinking resources and even if the you know expectation of return isn't as high it's just kind of like the cost of doing business I and mean, he's got to have huge people uh you know i was watching um uh, a georgia fan on twitter they kind of really go through a thread about what happened at georgia and, and where they put a lot of stuff and basically you know kirby smart he got there said hey we're just not big enough and he's like he's like our job is to be the biggest football team and they're not quite the biggest but once that changed and they just were just big <laughs> you yeah. know on the lines it just made a lot of different things easier <laughs> and i yeah. think oh yeah texas are both respectively trying to do that from that uh, from that side of it but Texas at 12 and 0 to me you, I mean you're right I mean the quarterback situation is just a situation I mean they they are in a situation ship I think I mm -hmm. mean you know him staying an extra year you have Arch back there sitting another year uh, beyond the plan uh, I just don't know how to see it and I keep seeing what I assume are smart people 
keep telling me Texas is going to be very good. Um, so either I'm missing something or I'm just letting, you know, the game, the eyes tell me because Oklahoma, I mean, sorry, Texas played two quarterbacks last year and lost both those games. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, how often are they going to play quarterbacks who can throw the football against them? Maybe more than twice. Yeah, but, but even then, Texas, they had games against Houston where that yeah. caliber of team shouldn't be in those games. Now, you know, 2022 Texas loses that Houston game, 23 wins it. So that's the difference there. They've learned how to win those games. But Alan, have you, as how you've always said, uh, you should be kicking ass. You shouldn't be in those games yeah. to begin with. <laughs> when you're out talent somebody that much, you shouldn't, there's no reason you should be in that game, uh, you know, just, just to start with. And I think Texas still has that in them. But now they'll be playing against teams that are also talented, not as talented, obviously, but, you know, they just have more, more shots. And so it's going to be difficult to, it's always difficult to go undefeated. But to go undefeated in the SEC, I think you need to be more Alabama, more Georgia, um, you know, yeah, and, rosters. You know, I mean, you look at it too. I mean, you, I guess you could cite OU, Texas winning over OU as this case where they got unlucky with the turnover margin, which was negative three. But, you know, some of those, uh, you know, one, at least one of those close, couple of those close games, like for example, Alabama, they were plus two. Uh, they were plus two against Houston, a game they won by a touchdown. You know, I mean, <laughs> these, you know, the, you know, needing those kinds of breaks. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't necessarily say a dominant team that's necessarily ready to run the table in the SEC. That said, and I'm now looking at <laughs> re familiarizing myself with the schedule. Uh, Oklahoma, Georgia, and I guess Texas A&M. I guess they have a, the, I, I, my assumption is Michigan is a giant rebuild at this point in time. That's, yeah. just, that's my assuming. Maybe they're not, but it's, they play Oklahoma, Georgia, back-to-back, back. so that's going to be an interesting a two-game season for them, and then they end the season at Texas A&M. To me, those are the only three games on this on a 12-game schedule in which they should struggle. Now, will they struggle at Florida and Tennessee, Kentucky and stuff? I'm sure, but this seems to be a three-game schedule for uh, for the Texas Longhorns at this point. Yeah, that, that A&M game is going to be live, man. Because <laughs> like, yes. it's in College Station, right? I mean... Correct. Rivalry you know, that's, weekend. Uh, like that's one where i mean uh you know i i have a hard time seeing texas necessarily getting out of there with a win yeah brady texas 12 and 0 do you think this is real do you think this is more just the numbers are being crunched but they're not looking at the heartless bastards that are the texas longhorns (laughs) yeah um i mean it's february um it's the off season so mac brown yeah, Mr. February. This is when I mean, this is when those folks come out and truly spout their their wish casting. I mean, this is just wish casting. Um, and I say that because uh, we talked about this off air, and I wish we were still on last week after we had recorded our last podcast. But I think Alan, you'd said it like we were going over something about somebody's like projection of Texas, and you were like, "Man, people just really want them to be good," and that's what it that's what it comes down to because. Can Quinn Ewers like make some improvements? Of course he can, but I mean, OU fans are well versed in quarterback play, and we're well versed in quarterback play that ranges from not good at all to elite legend of the game of college football. Um, we've seen we've seen quarterbacks at OU that are kind of similar to a Quinn Ewers, like quarterbacks that have 
a lot of, if you put them in a seven on seven drill, like they possess all the talent you want. They've got great size, um, rocket arm. Like Quinn has all that, but he's been a player, at least in my opinion, that really can only thrive if his head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, is in rhythm and scheming him uh, for big time plays because he's not a guy that can kind of look around, scan the field to me when shit's hitting the fan and just divvy out the ball like a point guard. He he hasn't really shown that to me. Can he like improve to do that? Sure. You know, I, it's not, it's not um, out of the realm of possibility for that to happen. But again, I remember hearing how Landry Jones went to George Whitfield and is like, he's working on his feet work guys. Um, he's not going to like, panic in the pocket anymore and like nothing happened you know he was still the same Landry Jones he had NFL receivers to throw to he had an NFL offensive line blocking for him he's got a rocket arm he threw out insane numbers for four years and that's that's what happens but for OU to like back in that day for OU to kind of get over the hump with Landry he wasn't able to really make that leap uh to put the team on his back time and time again when if if OU needed him I don't expect Quinn Ewers to do that um, so to me, it just comes down to people just really want Texas to be good. Quinn Ewers is pretty close to his ceiling. If you make a, if you have a bizarro world scenario where Quinn Ewers is OU's quarterback and Texas has everything the same that they're walking into 2024 with, but they've got Jackson Arnold, Jackson Arnold has this, has the five-star potential where we've seen like only a little glimpse of him. So you can still kind of have like somebody can go on the radio or on a podcast this off season and make the claim that Jackson Arnold is going to be the biggest surprise in college football. And you can't debate it because I mean, what, what's your evidence? It's the same. It's the, it would be the same way if someone said Jackson Arnold is going to be the biggest bust in 2024. You can't debate it. You know, until we see more games um, under Jackson Arnold's belt, he has the potential bug. If the potential bug at quarterback was on Texas, they would still be, be projected to be 12 and 0 and OU with Quinn Ewers, everybody would be saying, well, I don't know about that offensive line, or I don't know about this, or what about the depth here at this one position? Um, oh, OU doesn't have a running back because um, Sawchuck's always hurt. I don't know about these other guys. Um, even though OU doesn't really go a year without great skill position players across the board, like even though that has rarely, if ever happened in the last 30 years, um, it's going to happen this year. So they will want like the they trademark will look at OU and find like that that reason to kind of like yeah I don't they're not good I don't want them to at some point they're gonna suck eh, they bore me but Texas I know they lost X Y Z A B C D E F G H I J J K L M N O P but I mean they're Texas and Steve Sarkeesian has a private jet now and. They got to the playoff, and that means something. Did it mean anything for OU? No, because fuck them. But Texas got to the playoff, so let's let's really hope that it that it works out this year because it's it's going to at some point, right? It's not. They play OU in Georgia in back to back weeks. They're they're losing one of those. So twelve and zero is just not happening. I'm sorry, Quinn Ewers is not Vince Young. He's not that type of player. I don't even think Steve Sarkeesian is that type of coach to go what, 12, 13, 14 weeks and not have a hiccup or fuck something up like he has done time and time again, that ain't happening. 
I also think it's something too, uh, just about the quarterback situation is from this very recent YouTube video I've watched about recruiting rankings. You know, the further they get away based on this one video, which I'll share on the Twitter, on the Twitter timeline, everything I already have on my personal side, but I'll do on the keyhole. Like the, the, the further they get away from the initial ranking, the, the less and less correlation it has for their on-field production. And it, that's something that's really interested. Now I'm like trying to put together in my mind and trying to reframe how I think about some of these some of these positions like quarterback offensive tackle things like that that initial ranking very rarely holds true now running back and defensive end and stuff it holds true pretty because you know the tangibles outweigh the intangibles so much but you know as Quinn gets further and further away from that initial five star that projection or that on-field production starts separating itself from that potential and it's probably because you know, Brady, as you said, he's going to be kind of who he is at this point in time. You know, there's not that many quarterbacks that make a big giant leap forward, unless you look at a Bo Nix, you look at a Penix, you look at, a, you know, Dylan Gabriel. Those are guys who went to different systems, went to different places, and they were kind of able to unlock something. But I mean, it's very rarely, and, you know, Brady Allen, you guys are more, much more into, I don't know. I, I started watching college football at like really, hard in like 2008 2009 you know it wasn't like this history of the game so my assumption is there are a lot of quarterbacks that really just kind of came on but usually you know like Jason White he came on after multiple years being injured so on and so forth a little bit different than you played for a long time and then like a switch flipped I mean it Alan do you think there's something left for him or you think this is this is who he is he's a quarterback of Texas he's a game manager type who can make a couple really good throws and a couple of really good negative throws a game. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I think looking at it from uh, like yours got better between his freshman and sophomore years. I really, I, I do believe that. Right. I mean, you know, I think that you look at his numbers, for example, that'll back that up. Now, how much of that is the way that the offense was structured? You take Bijan Robinson out, of your offense and you know suddenly you're looking more along the lines that like you know the short passing game as being you know a bigger part of your offense for example and you look at i mean texas threw a ton of screens last year i mean their their rate of throws um you know at or behind the last scrimmage was far you know i mean far outside the norm uh compared to a lot of teams um you know i so Looking at this year, I mean, I guess I'm I'm I am really interested in seeing, you know, what they what they can do here. Um, I just, man, it just seemed like when when the read was there for yours before the snap, like you know, or when he had like just you know one, it was obvious where the ball needed to go. It seemed to me like he did pretty well, right? But team, when teams were throwing, you know, three high looks at him, for example. I mean, I saw a lot of times where he just looked lost to me. And I mean, you know, couldn't really get anything going down the field. I just, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a, you can see it. Like I watch him. I see like what other people see in terms of the way the ball, like his release, you know, I mean, he's, he puts the ball in the right spot, you know, a lot, but just the processing, the, there, there's just those kinds of parts of it, the, the, you know, occasionally kind of prone to panicking and stuff like that. Um, and maybe, I don't know, it just, I, that part of it, I, I, that's hard to, 
that's hard to just say, you know, is going to, it's hard to bet that that's going to improve, I guess would be the way to put it. He He's taller Spencer Rattler with a better attitude. He, he's almost like every, every word you used to describe Quinn just now, Alan, this is the same st- stuff we'll hear. We've heard about Spencer Rattler at the senior bowl. It's the same shit we're going to hear at the draft that he can make all these throws and he could do all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. But really what it came down to whenever Spencer Rattler was good at OU, it was because Lincoln Riley was in his bag and set him up to succeed. Whenever Quinn Ewers has been in his bag, it's because Steve Sarkeesian has set him up to succeed and they're able to ride that momentum. Um, He is a, he is absolutely curated as, as a quarterback and that's not unique to him. That's the way a lot of teams and quarterbacks and coaches play the game of football. Now is that the court is that the coach holds the quarterback's hand because a lot of times nowadays the head coach is the offensive play caller. We just saw it in the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. Um, why did San Francisco do a lot of the things that they did? It's because I'm pretty sure Kyle Shanahan thought we're in control, but I don't want Brock Purdy to make a bad throw. And I think that he might because he's not been here before and I don't trust him. So I'm going to hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey and he's going to run into a brick wall because Kansas city has stopped that in the second half. Um, you know, like I hate to keep bringing up, like, especially if we're talking about Texas quarterbacks, um, because it annoys me when, um, I mean, your good friend, Bomani Jones, friend of the podcast, will bring up Texas football. And all it is is just Vince Young. It's just Vince Young this, Vince Young that. There's nothing else but Vince Young. That is the only college football thing that has ever happened. Well, Vince Young is a good example of a quarterback who really turned it on because he was curated as a, you know, from the coaching staff as a quarterback his sophomore year where he really started to come on and play a lot more, especially his junior year, the year that we shut them out 12 to nothing in the cotton bowl. And then, or his sophomore year, excuse me. And then his junior year where he, when they won the national championship, Matt Brown was very um, outspoken about the fact that, yeah, we just stopped coaching him and essentially just said, go be the best athlete on the field. And it worked. You can't do that with Quinn Ewers, not just because he's not the best athlete in the world, but I don't see the potential of him to just ball out Like he looks like a quarterback that only wants to play well when shit's going right. And that's a lot of quarterbacks. Tua is just like that with the dolphins. If something's going wrong, you can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his stance. He doesn't want the smoke. Um, Did Texas get a little unlucky in the turnover battle against Oklahoma? Yes. But we all saw that first pick he threw. He stared down. He stared down whoever he was trying to throw to and Gentry like sniffed it out because Gentry's good. He did not want the smoke in that moment. I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't see like Quinn entering God mode here. And unless he enters God mode, Texas is not going 12 and 0. They're, they're not the best team in the sec. They look shiny. They have some pedigree to them because people are in love with offensive play callers who become head coaches Um, We all know Texas has the resources and they have the money and they have been recruiting, but they've been doing that for fucking ever. So I'm sorry. I just don't see it. Last year was their, their, we're finally back. Screw you, everybody who's laughed at it. And they still couldn't beat us. So until, until further notice, I'm just, they're the same Texas to me. I see you, you uh, listened to the viral clip of Tom Brady talk about uh, a <laughs> current day quarterback position uh, being, which is funny, coach. <laughs> which is funny coming from the dink and dunk King himself. Well, the idea behind him was how you said, it's like, Hey, I dink and dunked because I broke down the defense. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I gave him what they gave me and, and kind of went down the field that way. Um, but okay, you know, old it, man, it's like the Lincoln Riley thing, as you said, like 
like I love Caleb Williams. I think he's an outstanding athlete or something like that. I'm very interested in seeing what he does in a more rigid offensive. I mean, sorry, maybe in a less rigid offensive scheme where it's not kind of pre. The what I'm trying to say is Lincoln Riley's offenses are usually one read offenses or scramble around until somebody breaks open. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, from the passing side of it. He's got a pretty decent running game, kind of he's tagged onto that. I won't be that big of a hater for that part of it, but it's usually been, I'm going to scheme up. There's, you know, especially when he had a, a, a Hollywood Brown and CeeDee Lamb, where Brown would run that end cut and CeeDee Lamb would run the post over the top. It's just two read. One of those good dudes are going to be open because they're both, yeah. it's too much conflict and they're both NFL wide receivers. So either throw it there or run. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see what have when Caleb has to, go one, two, three, back to, you know, then back to the hot route, all that type of stuff, or to the, you know, to the safety valve. That'll be kind of interesting to see what happens from that uh, perspective. Um, we, we spent a lot of time on 12 and 0 Texas, which all three of us don't think will happen, but, you know, since, uh, you know, <laughs> our, our luck, they probably will. Uh, but Kim on this podcast also had a Texas, uh, sorry, Oklahoma sitting at nine and three, uh, kind of where I, I've been kind of having them kind of pegged in, but it does seem to be a, maybe a, a larger um, college football fandom or maybe college football enjoyers uh, see Oklahoma sitting at any, any like seven to eight wins at that point in time, kind of nine at, at the top of it. Uh, you know, that that's the part that seems to be, uh, I think it's beneficial for Oklahoma fans is knowing, I guess maybe from our mental anguish, because we all listen to this stuff, we all want to put together, we all want our favorite team to be recognized and acknowledged as a good football team. Uh, but OU sitting at nine and three coming in, and he even had them beating Alabama, you know, going into LSU, stuff like that, like doing really good things, not just beating the tomato cans on your on your roster, on your schedule, and then losing to all the good teams. Uh, but Alan, do you think nine and three is, you know, something I mean, when you break it down, when you're looking at it, because I know we talked about the FanDuel stuff, seven and five right now. Uh, you know, this guy hasn't met nine and three. I know it's still early on in the process. Uh, you know, it's, it's February. Can't believe I said the word process. Uh, but is nine and three something that you think you could see yourself looking at when you start breaking, when we do like our our preseason schedule breakdowns for all the teams? Well, looking at it to me, I think that, for example, in a lot of ways, OU got bad breaks with this schedule. Just in my, the more I've looked at it, uh, you know, I mean, I talked with Carter Bryan on one of our Patreon shows about this too. I mean, that's a, it's a rough schedule, but the thing of it too, when I look at, like, for example, if you fly, if you sent OU to South Carolina and instead OU got maybe Mizzou or Ole Miss at home, to me, all of a sudden, you know, OU picks up probably, uh, you know, goes from like seven and a half to eight and a half. Or, you know, somewhere close, you know, close to eight. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's the thing that about the FanDuel number that gives me pause is that my experience when it comes to this is that, you know, a lot of times when you see something like that, you really need to go back and test your assumptions or whatever your priors are because, you know, those guys, they are, you know, they, they're not in this to just put a number out there. I mean, they're trying to come up with the most realistic scenario possible. Um, so that, I mean, that, that really caught my attention. Uh, I, I mean, gosh, man, the idea of OU winning seven games. I mean, I think that a lot's going to have to break right for a lot of the teams on OU schedule. Also, I mean, Mizzou, Ole Miss, you know, that they're actually going to be, 
live up to what what people are seeing from them this year. Um, but you know, nine wins. I think that's a really strong season for you personally. Um, and as at the moment, I'm kind of leaning the other way. The one thing to keep in mind too is like Tulane, for example. That's a that I know it's it's Tulane. I know you should beat Tulane, but that's a really hard draw man like you know looking at i realize willie fritz left but hell they've got contempt with willie fritz now also too who's in my opinion like maybe the best coach in the entire country so like i don't know it just it's it's not an easy schedule i think that oh you could be really good and still only win like eight games seven games so yeah, the, the thing that that you know, uh, and I'll, I'll post this uh, uh, that SEC podcast, a YouTube video about this on their afternoon drive that was posted today or twenty three hours ago. It says currently, uh, the, how Oklahoma gets the nine wins is that Alabama and Missouri both only won eight. <laughs> you know, and those are two teams in which are kind of projected to win anywhere from nine to you know eleven games, depending on you know where you kind of have them going. You know, Michigan, uh, sorry, Michigan, Missouri is. Missouri fans specifically are kind of um, labeling this upcoming year as a 10 win floor uh, at this point in timing. When we had the, uh, I cannot remember his name, I apologize, the uh, uh, the Missouri uh, blogger on, he's like, yeah, we're kind of looking at, you know, you know, 10 wins should be what this team does. You know, if they win nine games, they've, they're they underachieving at this point in time. Eight games, they're completely underachieving. So, um yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, how their season ended. They beat Ohio State. You know, obviously Alabama is still super, super talented. You know, even if, even if you have uh, add in all of the lost roster stuff they have and you don't add anybody in, they still have the sixth most talented team in the nation. So it's like these are two very strong teams, it seems to be. Uh, but if they were to crack just slightly, yeah, that that's, that's, that's OU now has a, you know, uh, a chance to kind of sneak in there and be ahead of schedule to a certain degree. Uh, Brady, you've talked multiple times that you're not seeing nine and three, you're seeing 10 and two. Uh, <laughs> uh, so nine and three is not, uh, uh, would be uh, a little bit uh, shorter than you. Uh, but are, are you starting to see, I know you mentioned it's February, it's wish casting, all that kind of stuff. But Oklahoma seems to be gaining ground and gaining steam from a lot of, again, I'll repeat it, sm- seem to be smart people that they're not going to fall on their face. Oh, he's not going to be six and six, you know, seven and five is all the haters seem to think. Uh, but more people are starting to see them as a nine win team, potentially outside shot of a 10 win team. Is that people coming to your way of thinking <laughs> to a certain degree? Or do you think it's people really looking at Oklahoma? Because it's something you've mentioned before about this transition between Texas and Oklahoma moving into the SEC. Most people are spending 90% of their time thinking about Texas. And then the last 10% thinking about Oklahoma. Do you think now it's the offseason? More people are now to, are giving a chance to look at Oklahoma as a program and kind of see what they have on their roster currently and historically? Or it's like, well, they're just going to win nine games because that's just kind of what they do. They win hard games. They win a lot of them. I believe it was Papa John who said that the day of reckoning is coming. And for the SEC and all their bloggers, they're like, oh, shit. OU is actually kind of good. Yeah, they they didn't play defense for like a seven, eight year period. And they were, we would laugh at them, even though they would, you know, every once in a while, I mean, pretty consistently beat SEC teams in their own backyard. Um, but, oh, they're actually kind of good. Um, now, nine and three. 
very optimistic to me. Um, and it's mainly because I have my own questions about the roster, how it's going to gel together. Um, you know, before, like, we, I hate to say this because I feel like we would, everybody kind of has the same opinion when they're looking at a schedule, but we'll know a lot more about the team after we see them play three games, because even last year, yeah. um, around after, December, well, we should know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, even last year, um, in the non-conference, we all understood, okay, Dylan Gabriel has improved. He has greatly improved his accuracy, uh, his, um, his, uh, passing percentage, like all those things look great. Uh, there's something wrong with the running back room. Why isn't X, Y, and Z playing? Why is this, why is Marcus major playing? What the hell's going on? The defense seems to be pretty darn good. We'll see how they fare in big 12 play. But after the non-conference, we had this idea of like, okay, we have seen improvement. Now let's all bets are off. It's going to be similar, similar to that with this um, non-conference uh, because I have no idea how the offensive line is going to perform. I have no idea what Troy Everett looks like at center um, as your starting center moving forward. I have no idea what the North Texas kid looks like um, as a starter. If he is the starter, I have no idea what the Michigan state transfer looks like the um, Jake Taylor, Jake Sexton. I don't, I don't know. And then add to it as excited as we are with uh, Jackson Arnold or for Jackson Arnold. I, um, you know, I, I just, I don't want to bite the cheese too much and just assume that, yeah, he's just the next in line to be great. Um, I think we liked what we saw in the Alamo bowl and we've kind of justified some mistakes here and there, but um, there are going to be some more mistakes. It's just going to be like, how does he bounce back and how does he grow and evolve as a quarterback um, navigating the schedule? Um, and I think after three games, you can have a fairly good idea of like, okay, I'm confident with Jackson Arnold, or I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's a little bit of a, you know, a loose cannon or something. I don't know. So, I mean, I do agree with Alan about Tulane because one big thing that we can find out fairly quickly and Tulane's going to be a good test is can the secondary cover, um, can, can we, can we get off the field on third and longs and not give up a chunk play because somebody's out of position, something silly happens like too much of that happened last year, especially in the back half of the season. And I know that we had injuries, but um, if Gentry Williams, if we're going to assume he's going to be a great player, then I'm going to need him to not be injured every five minutes. So um, I think Tulane with the wide receiver transfers they got, they do pose a good challenge for our secondary early. So um, if we're ever able to pass that, you know, then, you know, maybe nine and three looks good. But even with all that said, nine and three to me looks like, okay, so somebody on our schedule is a complete fraud. So Ole Miss, who's going to be projected to be like, you know, they're ranked number six in the schedule graphic I'm looking at right now. I don't know where that comes from, but they're going to be one of the more ballyhooed preseason teams going into 2024. Maybe Ole Miss is a fraud. Maybe Missouri was a fraud from last year. Maybe Alabama is utterly, utterly demoralized by the lack of Nick Saban that they lose three or four games. So obviously any one of those things or a combination of them or maybe something else that I didn't mention, obviously that bodes well for OU, which would probably equal one, maybe two more wins than what they probably should if everybody is as good as you know they are, we are they are suggested to be. So um, we don't know about Tennessee. Um, I know people are excited for that quarterback. Um, 
It's in Norman. I don't know how everybody feels about that. Auburn, we have no idea how good they're going to be because they were awful last year. Um, they've recruited well. Hugh Freeze is a really good game day coach in terms of scheming. Um, who knows how that's going to go? Texas, we know. South Carolina sucks. Ole Miss, again, Missouri, Alabama, LSU, we have no idea. Maybe one of them's kind of a fraud. If they are, good for us. And eight, maybe nine wins is on the table in that at, at that point. But, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just really hard to sit here and say or at least guarantee – project that Missouri is a fraud because even though deep down in my heart, I think they are, I mean, they won what 10, 11 games last year. You got to respect it. I We won 10 games last year and I demand people respect it, but we're going into a much tougher conference. So I understand some of the six, seven, eight win kind of window projection. Yeah. For Oklahoma in this upcoming season, I know fans myself have done this, you know, pretty, you know, pretty religiously since it came out. Oklahoma should go undefeated in non-con should, I know, you know, we've, we've been kind of saying, Hey, Tulane could be a, whatever. Oklahoma should win that game. Then they should win South Carolina should. Now you're in, that's the end of the shoulds, <laughs> you know, then the rest are, are coin flips. It's who's Tennessee. Do they have a quarterback? You know, is he like suspended or something like that? I mean, it's, you know, do they have all kinds of weird sanctions or something? I doubt it at that point in time, but still it's also going to be a very emotional game. It's the, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, then we have, wait, Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee versus Tennessee in Norman, uh, you know, Auburn weird magic, weird stuff they do. Um, and then it's Ole Miss Missouri. Like you said, will they be rewarded for their extreme, you know, aggressiveness in the portal for their, for their roster composition so far that's been kind of half and half. You know, you know, so far, uh, uh, holistically for for college football, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And then you have Alabama, who, um, who you know, this the YouTube video referencing, they have them losing Oklahoma uh, because hey, Ken board they're replacing a lot. Eight and four is tough. You don't have a quarterback that fits your system. You know, they're they're that's something we may need to think about too. You know, now they did get Keon Sauce. They did get Keon sure. Saab from Michigan. Yeah, and you're right. That changes Bro- everything. <laughs> Oklahoma, once again. Changes everything. That was also a very sad article, a graphic that I got sent out from uh, the inside insider people saying Oklahoma is not broke, <laughs> like explaining why yeah, they're not God. broke. Uh, just, it's just that this further, it's a feedback loop, <laughs> and it's just getting mm-hmm. worse and worse and worse. And then you have LSU who replaces everybody. So it, to and they me. they don't play, know how to play defense, by the way. Yeah. Well, they did. Well, LSU is trying to fix problems uh, in A&M style. <laughs> They're going to hire a defensive line coach and pay him a $1.25 million. <laughs> uh, it's just insane at that point in time. Uh, and yeah, because yeah, Missouri Missouri's has to replace their defensive coordinator. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's five wins for sure. And then it's a bunch of, I'm not really for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot more. Usually it, on an Oklahoma schedule, there's two games that are kind of, I'm not for sure. It's the one tough non-con game and then Texas. So that's the main difference. It's like, it's gone from two, I'm not for sure, to five, six, seven. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the big difference uh, from that perspective. And as I've written uh, very immaturely on the uh, uh, Patreon page, which is on patreon.com slash through the keyhole, I mean, Oklahoma's, you know, the average football team they will have played is it very much so increasing. It went from, I think 52nd to 49th uh, for 22 and 23 uh, to this coming up year will be, uh, if you were to take their 
entire roster, take the entire schedule and average it out, uh, it would come out to like the 22nd power rated team and Oklahoma's only rated 14th. I mean, that's, that's a, that's pretty close for comfort. <laughs> if you're talking about over a span of an entire season uh, for OU to get up to nine wins, to get up to ten, uh, 10 wins potentially at that point in time. So it's a whole new world, but I think there's an opportunity with this schedule, with all the question marks that everyone else has, that Oklahoma could be saying, hey, welcome to the new SEC. <laughs> and that might be something that uh, will be catching people off guard uh, across the board there. I do want to talk about, again, it's the two teams who are always interlinked forever and always, Texas and Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Texas. We'll keep talking about them. Uh, but I do want to talk about maybe just from um, Alan, this is something I want to lean on to you about because it's just something I had in my, in my mind. Uh, Sark gets an extension. He's at $10.3 million. I believe he's the third highest paid college football coach uh, currently behind uh, Dabo and um, uh, uh, Kirby Smart. Kirby, yes. Yeah. Kirby Smart, I think, is number one than Dabo, or, or Dabo's one, Kirby Smart's two, because Dabo's been there longer. Uh, and then I think Sark's like tied for, with like three other people at 10.3. Um, and you have Brent sitting at 7.25, which just seems like a steal <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, when you do that kind of a comparison for there. Um, I don't really know where to come from this, but maybe just from like bang for your buck. I mean, is, is Oklahoma for 7.25 million dollars for Oklahoma is paying Brent per year with, you know, obviously, uh, there's indicators that kind of go up and all that mm -hmm. for, for year to year, current money versus future money, all that stuff. Is Oklahoma paying what they're paying is the performance outpacing that payment, you know, from, from you know, from that compensation or, uh, or do you think it's kind of hovering around that line? Is Oklahoma getting bang for their buck versus what I believe is Texas is not getting $10.3 million worth of uh, production out of Sark is Oklahoma getting $7.25 million out of Brent uh, for the on-field product of, where we are right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sark, Sark has gained $10.3 million. I mean, in part because of, you know, I mean, Texas has improved the last three seasons. There's no way around that. Right. But Sark's name also got tied to Alabama when Nick Saban stepped down. And I'm sure that that had something to do with, uh, you know, where, where he's going to end up getting paid uh, going forward. Um, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's it's weird to call seven seven point two five million dollars a steal. Um, it's but it's you know I mean to me it's pretty. God, I can't believe it's the market rate for a, you know who choose one the on yeah. the level that Brent has so far, but it is. So you know I mean uh, to me it's commensurate. You know I mean Brent doesn't have. People, you know, you know, knocking. There's no, there's no real, uh, you know, possibility right now of Brent going anywhere else. Um, you know, you don't, you don't hear about that. You know, it's not. It, you know, Sark is a different kind of thing in that regard. Um, now, I, I think that I'm not sure that I would want that much money tied up in Sark going forward. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, what the buyout is on that and everything like that. Um, Whereas, like, I feel like OU has left itself plenty of room if Brent doesn't work out to uh, go another direction. So that's kind of the way the way I look at it. I mean, to me, Brent is still proving a lot. I, I'm, 
so far pleased with where it's heading. But, you know, I mean, I think that it's a, uh, I think it's a good deal for OU in the sense of Brent's laying a pretty good foundation for the program going forward. Um, you know, and that's, you know, I mean, that's, but, you know, again, there's flexibility in case you need to go a different direction eventually. Yeah. The thing that, that it's kind of catching me off guard. I'm just bringing up, this is wonderful podcasting, uh, bringing up like a list of the top 10, uh, it doesn't have Brent Venables in here for some reason, even though he's hitting some of these numbers, but like uh, Penn State, it, you know, if you, if, depending on how you feel about James Franklin's whatever, but 7 million he for, sucks. For, for, for that type of consistency does seem pretty good uh, for, from that perspective. And I might be looking at an, an older article. This is, uh, this is updated January 12, 2024. So it, it, it's up here. But, you know, look at where Oklahoma is with, with uh, Brent Brittle's 7.25. And then you look at, let's go ahead and do it. Look at USC and look what they're paying Lincoln Riley. You know, and, and look at where the wins are and where that team program now seems to be trending. Um, or look at where Nebraska had to pay Matt Rule just to get into the game. They're already paying him over $9 million at this point Shit. in time for a total rebuild. What's uh, Baylor's head coach's name? Dave Aranda. Aranda is probably somewhere in the top 10, but they're private, so they don't have to list it. Yeah, that's true. I I just remember hearing that they paid him out the wazoo. So Yeah, and I do. I also recall around the time when OU was looking for a coach, you know, the number that was tagged to Aranda that OU would have had to pay was significant. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I hope hope Texas keeps piling on millions. I mean, give him an extra – make it 11. What, what's stopping you? Keep paying this man who's never really proven anything. So like, I love when Texas has talent. I love when they have a solid foundation because they it just makes beating them sweeter and it gives us more, um, I guess, credit for beating them because for the last decade when we've beaten them, it's just like, yeah, well, they suck. You're supposed to. So I like that. Um, but I don't know, in a weird way, is is it I don't mean this to be rude, but Brent Brent doesn't deserve to be here in the top ten. No. I hate, I hate to say no, it. I mean, no, he doesn't. But but the issue is is that deserving in and head coaches' salaries very rarely <laughs> match up. Yeah. I mean, Mel Tucker was making almost ten million dollars a year. Now he's a great agent. I mean that's a difference. <laughs> it, Oklahoma as a program doesn't seem to be and this you know carries over to the NIL stuff as well. And I'm feel like I'm beating a very, very bad drum here. Uh, Oklahoma doesn't, the program doesn't seem like a fool that can be separated with its money very easily. <laughs> you know, other teams are going to pay a bunch of stuff and just it's like, hey, it's fake money. It's monopoly money. We can get it figured out at some point in time. Who cares? Um, but they seem to be making good investments. And if you can, if, if what we believe is true about how Oklahoma is recruiting, the class compositions, how they're recruiting, they're getting offensive linemen, they're getting def- defensive linemen, and they're still continuing to bring in very, very high-rated quarterbacks. You know, Oklahoma right now is, is uh, you know, projected or crystal ball to get a five-star athlete slash linebacker slash cheetah position. Uh, you know, these types of players from Oklahoma was not getting uh, under the previous regime and under late Bob Stoops. Early Bob Stoops, sure. <laughs> Early Bob Stoops was a machine. Uh, but once he faded, he faded on the recruiting side of it and it kind of fell apart. Um, but Brent seems to have done the really, really hard backbreaking labor to get the foundation of this program back together. 
And if you can get that for seven, you know, just, just a little over $7 million a year when these other people are having to pay, you know, $9 million just to get a coach, like Nebraska, I mean, Matt Rule's fine, but you're paying him nine, over $9 million a year to do what exactly? Like what is And on top money? of that, like how long do you have to guarantee their money? You know what I mean? Like how, yes. like, yeah. and to get out from under it. I mean, to me, I, I felt confident when they hired Venables that even if he didn't work out as a head coach, yeah. he had a idea and a vision for where what OU needed to do to be competitive moving into the SEC, right? And so you get four years of that, of him building the program that way, even if he doesn't work out necessarily as, as a head coach. Well, okay, you know, you gave your shot. Here's a, a big, fat, you know, uh, you know, buyout, but not near like, but it'd be paltry compared to what like Nebraska would have to pay Matt rule. Not the afternoon. It'd be, it's, it's, it's ludicrous to me. The, uh, the talk about, Oh, well now Lincoln Riley's on the hot seat at USC. Like the hell he is, man. They're going to have to pay him like $80 million to get rid of him. If they wanted to after next season, like OU isn't in that position. They have a lot of flexibility. And I think, you know, OU's history says, if you win, you'll get paid. If you can, you know, if you, if we need X, Y, and Z and, you know, you will get what you need, but you know, it's, it's also more of a, a matter of, you know, you need to justify the spending like, yeah. and that's the way that's, but that's part of the reason why OU has one of the most successful athletic departments in the country. You know, I mean, like that's, it's, it takes a lot of discipline, uh, but like that's, but that's kind of, in my opinion, part of OU's kind of secret sauce is that discipline. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, discipline is a very, very, very difficult thing to hold yourself to. You know, it preparing yourself now for future success. For you know, it's just a very difficult human nature thing to it, do to to, to not do. I mean, you want to have the sugar now, you want the dopamine now. <laughs> you know, it, it's very difficult, and you have that very. Uh, present bias of like winning now like missouri has decided to do all in on present bias like we are winning right now <laughs> who cares what happens in 2025 and 2026 you know at that point in time you know and god love them for it you know if that's what how they want to go for it, it's how they want to run the program you, you need to move in that direction while you can because it's not always guaranteed you know the only thing we have right now is right now <laughs> so maybe that's the better way of looking at it but Long-term success is something like an Oklahoma, is something like an Ohio State, where you are constantly being an adult in the room. But my take uh, when Brent was first hired was that he could be a Chuck Fairbanksian type coach, where he's setting up for the next coach to take over and take OU back to the mountaintop. Uh, if he keeps recruiting, maybe uh, that's where we're going to be at. Um, but to me personally, I think he at $7 million is very good. Um, I think he needs to kind of, there, there's some in-game coaching decisions and things like that, which if he were, you know, if OE Oklahoma wants to get deep into the playoffs, that's, that's where he's going to have to grow. But Brady, I, I've, I've cut you off like five times just now. So go for it. The floor is yours. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I mean, you, you hit it. Um, I mean, the potential is still there for the possibility that we, I think all talked about on this podcast when, I mean, at least you guys did, I brought it up to you guys privately. Um, back when Brent was hired, um, he's either the, going to be the guy, like he's, he's either destined to be the next great, you know, Benny, Bud, Barry, Bob, Brent, he's, he, he's either destined to be that, um, or 
we know for sure he has the intangibles to build the foundation to an extent where if it's not him, the next person is going to be that guy because I mean, he, he is, he has stabilized the program. Um, it was not necessarily a program that was like in a Nebraska state or in um, a Texas state, like when Sark got there, but the defense weighed it down so damn much that almost kind of like a, a coach was necessary to to come in and, and at least kind of treat it like this school has been on probation for three or three years, a bowl ban for two years, and I'm here to kind of rebuild it back up. So it it'll either be through me that we see that success, or I'm just going to recalibrate it to the standard which it should have been over the last handful of years, but straight away from. So that if it's not me, the next person can just kind of take the keys and drive the Ferrari into uh, the sunset. Um, I hope it's Brent because, I mean, he's just a guy that, I mean, obviously we're OU fans, so we want him to do well, but just kind of like Porter Moser, like that type of coaching personality, I want to do well. I want OU's football coach to just be kind of like a badass. I want them to have this air of, yeah, like we have a standard. You're never going to reach it because OU football, like the standard here is so high that it's never going to be good enough. So never like rest on your laurels. Never think that you beat Texas. So, okay. Like you're the national champions now. Um, it's, it's not good enough. So keep working. Um, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like Nick Saban. Nick Saban had a similar attitude. He's just not as boisterous because he's not a defensive coordinator. Like Brent essentially has been uh, for his entire career. He's not as, I guess, athletically visceral as Brent Venables. Cause I know Nick can, lose his mind on the sideline, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's set up the way it should be. Um, I think we're all satisfied and happy with Brent Venables. Um, there are some tiny little things like you mentioned, Peyton, that, that needs to be cleaned up. And I think what, with better talents, um, and more depth, I think a lot of those little mistakes probably just kind of correct themselves because we've got better Jimmy's and Joe's out there than we had been trotting out there, at least on defense five years ago. Um, but, it's set up the way that it should be. Um, we're not like Texas where we finally have some success. Let's throw 12 fucking million dollars at this guy because we did it. We finally did it. We're finally here. It's like, you haven't proven anything, my man. And I would be, if, if OU, if you just give OU Texas's season the last three years, you know, you just flip it. I would feel the same way. I'm like, dude, we've not proven anything. We haven't been good for 10 years. We've not proven anything yet. Um, and we didn't even beat, you know, our rival last year. So I would, I would feel the same way. I would look at it from that perspective, but I'm, I admit I'm kind of an asshole when it comes to being a fan. I think the other thing too, is like, I find the idea of wanting a highly paid coach really strange. Yeah. Like in the sense that like you get paid, you know, I mean, like I want, I want coaches who are striving to get better, striving to, you know, I mean, the, those, I want those that care it out there for them. Right. Like the idea that, you know, we, I need to win. So, you know, it, or if, if getting paid is important to you, then, you know, I want you trying to win <laughs> to get paid. You know what I mean? Like, I find the idea that like, when, when people are like, Oh, we need to hire, so-and-so to come in and we'll just throw all this money because i mean you know he's he's a really well-respected coach he's won everywhere he's been you know we'll pay, we'll pay for that track record to me like 
you're you're buying high you know what i mean you know you need to be buying low i mean like look at jimbo fisher i mean you know what was the real like motivation there to for him to like you know excel outside i mean you got to be betting that he's a Nick Saban type who's just that driven to always be, you know, pushing to get to get better, to improve, to, you know, for dominance. And like, I don't know, man, we uh, history kind of shows us there's like one Nick Saban out there, you know what I mean? And nobody has cloned him yet. So uh, like I said, I, I want people who are who are, you know, who are hungry to to make more money as opposed to the guys who are getting paid a lot. Can I clarify something real quick, Peyton? So yes. earlier when I said Brent doesn't really deserve to be in the top 10, you know, I was thinking that from a general standpoint of I don't think he's proven to be a top 10 coach in college football. That's that's my fault because now I'm looking probably at the same list you looked at and I see in the top 10, let's see Hia, Mario Cristobal, Josh Heupel, Lane Kiffin, Matt Rule. Um, let's see, those were the first four. Then six is Ryan Day. I accept that. Brian Kelly, I'll accept that. He's a proven winning coach. Um, Mike Norvell, I didn't like Florida State last year. They barely beat us in a fucking who gives a shit bowl the offseason before. Whatever. Lincoln Riley, I mean, he quote unquote deserves it. I get why they pay him a lot of money or did pay him a lot of money. Dabo, winner. Um, Steve Sarkeesian, we've kind of already talked about him. Okay, so going back up, You've got guys that are either being paid for essentially one game. Josh Heupel is paid a lot of money because they beat Alabama finally for the first time in 30 years, and they won. Well, in let me clarify one thing there, too. I mean, Heupel, I believe, did sign an extension, right, or somewhere around the time. No, 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 no. He had already – no, OU was not open when he signed that, right? So yeah. OU hadn't – but yeah, so okay. Yeah. Part of yeah. me, but, I mean, a lot of the good, the era of good feelings surrounding Josh Heibel as a head coach at Tennessee is because they beat Alabama and then they rode that into a, an Orange Bowl uh, victory. Um, they got shellacked by Georgia in that year and kind of showed that, okay, like a, a blind squirrel found a nut this year, but you're, you're not exactly there. And I know that their quarterback was hurt or whatever, but, I mean, they were not on the same level as Georgia. Um, and Alabama, that was a very undisciplined Nick Saban team that year. So it happened. He's essentially getting paid for that. Lane Kiffin, is it any different than the Hugh Freeze Ole Miss? Like, they were winning 10 games a year. They were really good. They had badass recruiting classes. They had, you know, they had awesome talent. Lane Kiffin's getting paid because Ole Miss is an SEC school. They're in the heart of the, I almost said Confederacy. They're in the heart of the SEC and um, Lane Kiffin's like a fun little troll on Twitter. I don't know why else he's being paid other than he's a name, but that that to me just seems like we have to do this. Like Nick Saban gets paid a lot. We want to be like Alabama, so yeah. let's pay this guy a lot of money. Like that's how it, that's what A and M did, right? Right? That's what happens. Matt Rule, well, I mean, Nebraska, Nebraska. Oh, go ahead. I mean, the even going back in the past, Ole Miss still had two Alabama victories. You know, to kind of somewhat. You know, yeah, uh, under Hugh Freeze, validate that. Kevin yes, gets that paid salary. because Kevin gets paid because his name gets attached to any high-profile opening yes. out there. It's, yeah, that's exactly what he I has. Mean. The greatest agent who yeah. <laughs> represents like ninety percent of all college football coaches. Matt, Matt Rule, I'm not even giving the benefit of the doubt of being a pass winner because I know he won at Temple and I know like he was good at Baylor, but 
it, none of those stints were long enough for me to like really like mm-hmm. buy him as like that guy. And Nebraska's desperate. So I get yes. that. Um, and then after that, it's like, yeah, Ryan Day, Brian Kelly, Dabo Sweeney, Mark, Mike Norville is kind of a fraud. I don't, I don't think he's that good. Lincoln Riley is showing that he's a fraud and time will continue to show that. So that'll be fun. And then um, Steve Sarkeesian and, and, you know, OU and Texas will be battling each other every year and we'll get to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, like, it's weird. I like where Bryn is and I like that we're in the, we're in the spot that we are and we're not playing that pissing contest game of, oh, well, we've got that base cover because we, we pay our coach $11 million, which means that we're winning a national title this year. It's like, that's not how that works. Oh, Brent yeah, the, is, uh, the A&M Texas battles. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, go ahead. Y'all can cool. I, 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 OU is a flashy program. Like we're not a hundred percent blue collar, like hold our head down. Now, OU has historically kicked people's ass and told them about it while it was happening in a very boisterous fashion. And I like that about us, but I, I mean, when you compare us to like Texas or like a lot of these sec schools that are just throwing money to the wind, it's like, yeah, we'll just, We'll just do our job and uh, do what we always do and bore you to tears with how bad we dominate your ass. So cool. I like it. The funny thing too about this is like, I would love to have seen like the reaction uh, among Texas fans, like after that 2020 season when A&M actually decided to extend Jimbo and give him (laughs) even more money because I mean, he arguably had a more successful three-year stretch at that point than Sark has had to this point. And yet now Texas just did the exact same thing that A&M did. You know, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's just funny. Like the way that works. Yeah. 2020 was a pretend season and not a lot of stuff that we saw play out that year really conveyed to the next season. Alabama won the national championship. And so we're, we kind of just lump that in. Of course, of course, that's what Alabama does. Um, in a weird season where people aren't practicing all the time, players are in and out. Some players have opted out. Some schools aren't playing this, you know, the same amount of games. Like it's, it was just a, a non season. I guess it makes sense that Alabama would be the national champion that year. Cause they're just the best setup with the best talent. Um, but it's, it's weird that, um, you know, in a year where like A&M just really buys into winning the orange bowl against North barely against North Carolina that year in a nothing season that wasn't real. OU got kind of lucky because if COVID never happened and it was just a regular 2020 season, OU's playing army on the road that year. And they're playing Tennessee. I can't remember how good or bad Tennessee was that year. Was that supposed to be on the road? Do you guys remember? I, I, I cannot remember at all. Sorry. With how that team played, especially early, and with the players that were going to be suspended going into that season, Ramondre and uh, Ronnie Perkins and um, somebody else, can't remember, uh, Trajan Bridges, um, that could have gone south for Lincoln very quickly, and he might have never gotten the USC job because his reputation might have been super tainted because 2020 saved it. You know, like, at some point, like getting blown out in the playoffs really started to like, hmm, we know this is kind of an OU problem, but what's Lincoln doing to really address this? Like all the questions he's been getting um, at, as the head coach at USC the last, you know, year and a half, I, that probably would have started much earlier in his career. So he's probably thankful that there was a pretend season that kind of in, 
kept his reputation afloat where it was because, I mean, anybody who paid attention to 2021's team knew that that team was shittily led, but it didn't matter at that point because USC was desperate and they had seen enough, apparently. So, you know, just something to think about. And Alan's muted. He's got him. I want to jump in real fast. I think I want to give... We've been harping on Texas for paying Sark this much. I do want to give them credit. They didn't overpay him to start. <laughs> they had no, him a very, five, true, right? friendly very deal. smart. Yeah. The issue is that the moment they had any, any semblance of success, they lost their mind. Now, that's the issue. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Oklahoma. Let's say Oklahoma wins 11 games next year. Go way ahead of schedule or something. Does Oklahoma lose its mind? You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Or they hold the course and say, Brent, we are paying you what we agreed. That's where it is. Do you guys think they lose their, and I hate playing the what if game, but it just really goes to show you how quickly they lost it. Do you guys think they lose their mind if they get, I mean, just bitch slapped by Alabama in Austin and then Dylan Gabriel plays, which means Texas still wins, but they win like 38 to 17. It's like, yeah, it's a dominant victory, but it's not like 49 to nothing. Oh my God. Like it, it is a, a, a signal of change in the big 12. OU Texas, like Texas has overcome OU in such, in such fashion that they'll never be able to return. If it was just kind of like a ho-hum 38-17 victory, like, and they still went eight and four like they did and lost in the Alamo Bowl, like, are they losing their mind? But a lot of why they lost their mind was set up by they almost beat Alabama and they shut out Davis Bevel-led Oklahoma. So, I mean, if that's the case, then I I think this might be the case. I hope, I hope it's the case. They're, they're going to get what they paid for. Yeah, Jim, Jimbo was 26 and 10 at AM when he got extended after three seasons. Sark right now is 25 and 14, you know, the difference being that weird COVID year, of course. But I guess, point being, I, the track records are fairly similar at this point. We're all in their agreement. Oklahoma did a better deal. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, obviously, you know, return on investment seems to be trending in Oklahoma's way. That said, Texas did just make the playoff. They were a few plays away from potentially playing for a national championship. And we're over here saying, well, what happens? You know, Texas lost their mind because, I mean, college football is, if anything, it is the 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 sport built off of vibes more than any other sport. <laughs> if Texas were to make it to the championship game or God forbid, win one, I would guarantee you Oklahoma would not have a broke uh, narrative or surrounding it right now. Uh, but Oklahoma is kept the, you know, kept their heads cool. Texas choked as always. And now we're able to handle it the, the correct way that uh, adults should be in the room. Um, college football now has adjusted its playoff structure. It was, uh, a six plus six, so your six conference champions, highest rated conference champions, and then six uh, at-large bids based on uh, uh, the uh, ESPN college football uh, playoffs uh, rankings. That has been adjusted uh, based off a unanimous vote to switch to a five plus seven. This is mainly prompted due to uh, the Pac-12 imploding, but I do know, I believe the SEC was wanting it to be five plus seven even before then, because <laughs> why would you want to have six of these guys coming in uh, when your when your conference is uh, drawing all the eyeballs? Um, but now we're at five seven here. Uh, Notre Dame does get basically a free ride into the playoffs most years. Uh, so congratulations on them. But it does freeze them out of ever hosting 
uh, a game, I believe. I think they would always have they would always have to play the first weekend, regardless, because they wouldn't be a conference champion at that point in time. So the highest, yeah, they, they won't get they won't fifth. get a buy, but they won't get a buy, but it doesn't freeze they them out host. from hosting. That's yeah. right, that's right. If they're they a fifth could, rated, yeah. they would be hosting at that point in time. Correct. Sorry, I misspoke on that side, but they would never get a buy. So you know, sad for them. They'd have to win four hard when, games to win a championship. Uh, but Notre Dame gets special treatment forever. <laughs> when on the calendar are these games played? Um, so let's say OU is hosting a playoff game. When, like, when is that being played? I'm frantically Googling. I don't know if it's been set in stone. And Alan, you're muted. I don't know if it's been set in stone. I'm just... <laughs> I, Son I'm just, of a bitch. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens. It's hard. No, I'm just... I'm assuming, okay, the, the conference title games, which are now meaningless, will be played the first week of December, the first Saturday of December, like they typically are. And then... Because they're student athletes, they have to go back to school and take their finals, so they have to have a fucking month off. Is OU potentially going to host a playoff game in Norman outside in late December? I know it's 75 degrees outside right now in February, but chances are it will be a hellscape outside. I don't want to be outside in that shit. Like, I don't like I've never liked the 12-team playoff idea, so we don't need to get onto that, but yeah. Yeah, oh, you would be hosting it. I mean, like I, I saw the I saw the schedule earlier today. I can't find it at just at this second, but it's set up to where semifinals are still being played on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So, you know, that means yeah, you, you know, the quarterfinals would be the maybe the week before, the week before that. I mean, so yeah, you're talking about games in the middle middle of December. Yeah. I guess finals don't matter anymore, magically. What a shame. What a shame. Yes, no, correct. I, and, and you're also looking at games. I, I saw some stuff being kicked around like on a Friday, you know, stuff like that to kind of make things work out. Uh, and then obviously, uh, Greg Sinke was very per, uh, evasive when talking about where these would be broadcast uh, when brought up about streaming. So my assumption would be uh, one of these games would be on ESPN Plus uh, to further uh, bolster, uh, you know, ESPN's uh, streaming catalog as well as that um, the weird subletting thing that they're doing uh, from that perspective as all yeah. of these broadcasters are trying to get people to um, to buy their services for their direct to customer point in time but yes this will be um, this will this will please a certain aspect of college football fans which are saying or, or just football fans in general you're going to have football played in cold weather outside because <laughs> these teams don't have domes <laughs> for the most part unless you're Syracuse. Uh, <laughs> that's it. So you're going to play in quote-unquote football weather until you get to uh, the semifinals and the, and the championship game at that point in time where you're playing more destination cities or in, more than likely in domes and things of that nature. So that part will be pretty interesting. Um, if I'm a Big Ten fan, I, the only thing I'm thinking of is finally <laughs> I'm dragging these Southern teams up North potentially and making them play in the snow. <laughs> or something ironically, ironically though, like I remember them asking Gene Smith, uh, the outgoing Ohio state athletic director about this a while back and being like, no, we want to play in a dome. I mean, you know, the weather will be better. Yeah. And I, the big team yes. has a weird rule from an entertainment perspective. For sure, money-making perspective in a dome. I don't know how I don't know how these these playoff games that are hosted on a campus are going to be like packaged. You know, you know, it's like what bowl games? There's a home team and an away team, and it doesn't really matter. Um, I but I know the Big Ten has this weird rule that they'd never play night games after 
September, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So, it's November, yeah. Yeah, so in the event, like, if that still conveys, you know, if, if um, like, Penn State is hosting, um, I don't know, like, Ole Miss, well, yeah, it's going to be cold, but you're not playing at night. So it's not like the Miami Dolphins go into Kansas City, you know, to play a playoff game at night when if you played it during the day that day, it was actually kind of human bearable outside, but then no, like we have to play it at night because of broadcasting and shit and peacock, whatever. Um, and nighttime falls and it's minus 27 degrees outside. So, all right. I have the schedule. I found it. Uh, first round on campus, you'd get one game December 20th, which is a Friday, the evening game. Then Saturday, you have the other three games early afternoon, late afternoon, evening. Then you have quarterfinals. Uh, Tuesday, December 31st, Wednesday, January uh, 1st. So you have those games. Uh, those games would be the Fiesta Bowl in the evening on the 31st. Then on uh, the 1st, you have the Peach Bowl in the afternoon, Rose Bowl afternoon, Sugar Bowl in the evening. Then you have the semifinals, which would be the Orange Bowl on the January 9th on the Thursday. <laughs> and then Friday, January 10th, would be the Cotton Bowl. And then you have the national championship on Monday, January 20th. So you are extending football really yeah. far down the line, which it's going yeah, to be very I'm, I'm misspoke earlier. I said semis would be on New Year's. They're playing the quarters on New Year's. I mean, God, yeah. man, golly, dude, man. I don't like that at all. No. Uh -uh. Like, like, imagine, no doubt, if OU's hosting a playoff game, the people will come. Like, they, the, the, the Sooner Nation will show out. But, Man, you got to manufacture some energy for a Friday night evening. Like, let's just say, you know, it, hypothetically, Friday night evening game, three or four days before Christmas Eve, three, four or five days before Christmas. Everybody's traveling. It's like, nope, let's all go to the cathedral because we got to go scream because OU's hosting uh, Michigan or something. Like, it's it's cool and it's great, and you know, we'd all be excited, but. This is just this feels so shittily like planned out, but such and is the such is the life. schedule. The schedule too seems very very strange. Now to me, to me it does. Now, I, I don't know where the final schedules all these schools fall in line. So your first round, like I said, is on the December twentieth and December twenty first, and then you're waiting either eleven or twelve days later to play the quarterfinals on the thirty first and the first. Now obviously you're trying to hit those windows because thirty first and first is for some reason college football wants to play <laughs> on those dates, uh, I'm not entirely for sure. And then then at that, that point in time, I mean, it's still weird. It's still not next week. You know, it's Thursday and Friday. It, you know, we're so used to college football playoffs where it's next week they play, <laughs> not in 12 days they'll play. Like that just seems, the cadence seems really, really off. Uh, but there may be having to bounce around some, you know, uh, uh, student athletic uh, commitments for actually being in class or something of that nature. Probably also trying to avoid the NFL. That's more than likely what's happening because ESPN, yes. On top of this, ESPN now continues to have a stranglehold on the playoff. Uh, they are the sole provider of it until, they, I think they added two more years, three more years to the deal. Um, but they do well, have the option yeah. of sub-leasing, or for lack of a better term, some of these games out as they're trying to recoup some of the uh, expenditure to get these games. So yes, it would behoove ESPN to not put these games in competing timelines. So of course, that's why they're going to be on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday to not actually hit some of these uh, NFL um, 
timelines. So college football, which it used to be, um, you know, these big time games got played on prime times on the weekends because they were the big deal. Now college football is a part of your content mix for the uh, great American sport of football. Uh, and it seems to potentially, in my opinion, just based on that perspective, losing some of that luster. But yeah, we got it. Oklahoma could play a playoff game at home, and that's kind of cool. <laughs> we got to get good quick because if if Norman Oklahoma is going to be the frozen tundra like Lambeau Field of the SEC, then we need to like we need to get on that fairly quickly. Like all like yeah. these these like Mississippi Delta schools coming up like wind chills and sleet and like what the fuck is this place no we usually play in atlanta or new orleans this time of year in a dome i i do honestly think yeah i mean you're right i mean oklahoma i mean some of these places yeah let's just say you're playing in you know in, in michigan ann arbor uh uh, uh december 21st that's not gonna be fun but i mean norman you're going to have it's going to be cold and this is going to be winds like it that's what's going to be hard and 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 you know the middle of the state is dealing with those 15 20 mile an hour gusts uh at 15 degrees like that's the hard part for in oklahoma it's not snow it's just cold and icy that's that's this the hardest bullshit part of the state it's not pretty yeah, i mean look the truth is the reason why the bulls i think are so popular is honestly i think Rich boosters just like the idea of being able to go down to Miami or Orlando yeah. or whatever. I mean, or, you know, and, and playing a dump. nobody wants to play in, outside in the middle of December, man. Like, no. Come on, come on, climate change. We had 75 degrees in February in Oklahoma. Come on, climate change. <laughs> well, um, we had some more stuff on here, but I think we've done a pretty good job of talking about some actual football. Uh, we had some, uh, OUNIL now has an assistant GM and Curtis Lofton, I believe. Uh, I believe Woo, the, the initial report yeah. was that he was general manager, but I think that's been corrected. Uh, Curtis Lofton will be the assistant general manager of Crimson and Cream uh, Collective. Um, is, is he going to be of the collective? From my, uh, from what I understand, he will be transitioning from Oklahoma's sole mission to this post and will no longer be part of the uh, institution of the University of Oklahoma. Okay. That's my understanding. I could be wrong. Uh, this is me reporting on somebody else reporting. They had to report wrong because they had a journal manager. So yeah, okay, uh, yeah. I could be misspeaking at this point in time. Remember when I say uh, Oklahoma football fan podcast. <laughs> at no <laughs> point in time are we trying to be a fake journalist. Um, but at that type of role, he is a he goes and shakes hands of rich people and says, remember when I made all those plays? we can get more people like me on the team. <laughs> to me, that's what, what his goal is to be and to be a realistic voice to, and let's just cut, you know, cut through it, a realistic voice to like a Caden Green, you know, saying like, hey, I was being offered, people were doing stuff to me and like, you know, you got to stay or, you know, if he's being true, maybe he says you got to go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, hey, we'll get that part figured out. Uh, but we've got more content rolling through on uh, a Patreon page, patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, we've got some exciting things coming up uh, from that side of it. Uh, articles, uh, podcasts being recorded, uh, tape, uh, tape review being done. Uh, we also have some uh, some interesting news coming out, trying to circle that around the spring game. We'll have that a little more um, solid, a little more uh, in our vision as that comes up. But everyone uh, who's been supporting us, thank you guys so much uh, for doing this. This is very, very helpful to listen. Every time I get a message saying, Hey, I listened once. It's super cool. <laughs> I get super jazzed out about it. It's not for sure. It's still kind of interesting why somebody would listen to someone in Durant, Oklahoma. 
I understand why somebody listened to Alan and Brady. You guys know what you're talking about. Uh, but everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, for Matt, for myself, for Alan, for all the Keyhole supporters, and everyone who's listening. Boomer! Boomer!